Hello everyone, I'm Jamie Bricker and welcome to Matters of Principle. This podcast continues to discuss many of the key issues principals confront on a regular basis. Now this has clearly been a very challenging school year for all concerned. I mean that's the understatement of the year, no question about it. As there have been many changes to regular routines all across schools uh, throughout our province. Now one constant, however, is going to uh, continue on this spring as the government has decided that EQAO assessment will in fact be a go for all grades three and stu- excuse me, all grades three and six students across our province. Now today's podcast will focus on discussing the relative merits of EQAO, and I think particularly this year, as there's certainly some discussion of whether or not it should be occurring. And we'll look at it hopefully from a variety of different lenses from the various stakeholders involved. Now, without any further ado, it's my pleasure as always to introduce my co-host, Jack Barkley. Thanks, Jamie. It's great to be back for another podcast to discuss a a very timely and interesting topic today. Well, Jack, considering all of the educational challenges over the past couple of years, and let's face it, there have been many, many, how do you feel about the government deciding to go ahead with EQAO this spring? Great question, and it's an interesting decision, Jamie. You know, having not quite gotten through COVID yet, and with still many absences with staff and students, coupled with the fact that teachers and families and students have been removed from this process for the last two springs, I think it's going to be a challenge. Now, that said, I think we'd all agree that certain forms of assessment are going to be key in determining the gaps that have likely occurred in that time and how to close those gaps. Well, I mean, speaking of which, Jack, is we're well aware, I mean, standardized tests in education um, can be and have been, frankly, analyzed ad nauseum for, for decades. And like all standardized tests, uh, EQAO was far from perfect. Uh, and, and I know we both agree that it should never be used as, as the be-all and end-all to gauge any student's progress. However, making that statement, I think it's important to pause and stress, it was never the government's intent that EQAO would be the be-all and end-all to gauge any student's progress. And I just want to kind of stress that right off, right off the start. But having said that, there is absolutely no question, uh, looking back at it my time as both teacher and administrator, that EQAO has both directly and indirectly raised the bar for what I would call routine practices in both classroom teaching and an assessment all across the province of Ontario over the past 30 years. And I think it really does deserve an awful lot of credit for that because you really see the difference, not just in grades three and six in elementary school, but all across the K to eight. Right, Jamie, well said, lots of good points. And and, you know, I I agree with you. I I think uh, educators, teachers, administrators alike would certainly agree with with that piece, that it's it's helped in education, it's raised the bar, it's changed practices, and so on. Now, one of the first keys for school leaders, I think, with regards to the EQAO assessment and the approach has to do with attitude, as well as recognizing and respecting the different lenses of all of the stakeholders. Well, no question, the attitude of, like, of all parties involved, let's face it, right off the hop, that has a huge impact on how everyone involved looks at the assessment process and ultimately how the students feel about it. That's right, Jamie. And I think it's one of the things uh, that that I've felt that I've learned about the assessment uh, itself is from our role and the various roles, how much people notice each other. Now, having said that, 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 let's start with the attitude, first of all, of, of 
our senior administration, the superintendent, and, and how that's filtered down to us. We all know that our EQAO results become very public the next fall. Uh, the work that you've done in the spring becomes, you know, they're, 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 other schools see them, parents see them. Everybody share, can see them. You're sharing information, exactly. So your superintendent certainly sees all that. And you think, how do those scores impact uh, his or her role? They may well have a future career advancement plan and EQA results uh, can help facilitate that. Now, depending on you know the, the person and so on, that, that superintendent may download lots of both subtle and overt um, suggestions and pressure on principals in his or her area in their approach towards EQAO. So yeah. Oh, oh no question. I mean EQAO results can be uh, seen as a political launching pad for superintendents, no doubt about it. And and Jack, let's look at the attitude of principals now and, and let's face it, uh, EQAO results can also be a real kind of uh, trigger point for principals going up the up the ladder, so to speak. And I think once again, it, it really can't be stressed enough that these results become public. And as much as uh, certainly superintendents over the years have tried to say it's it's really for an in, you know kind of an internal school thing or maybe for a school area to kind of work together, yada, yada, yada. The bottom line is there is a very, very clear competitive pressure there. There's absolutely no doubt about that. And as you mentioned, certain superintendents put that much more pressure on principals uh, to make sure or, or do their best to make sure they have good results. And I think a key part of the principal's role is to serve as that kind of buffer between the superintendent expectations, which frankly sometimes can be unrealistic uh, but or a bit over the top, but those expectations and the kind of realities of your school. And that's not a case of making excuses for your school whatsoever. Schools, we certainly as principals expect and demand high standards, no question about it. But I think you're kind of, I look at it, Jack, you know, I'm a, as you know, a visual learner. I kind of look at it, you're in the middle of the hourglass. You've got the superintendent kind of downloading this pressure. And then how do you kind of share that kind of uh, kind of plan or mandate or expectations for this process with your staff involved? Yeah, the, excellent points, Jamie. And, and I think when we talk about, I love how you put the principles, the buffer. It really is all about the school leader massaging the message um, and balancing, um, you know, the idea that EQAO is important and the need, while also not it, it not being the be all and end all, as you, as you also said, it it can't be everything because there are so many, as we've talked about, facets to a school day for the leader that that are are important as well. I mean, making the EQAO process itself and the results relevant to the whole school, I think is really important for that school leader. Um, embedding those results in your school plans and, and picking those right strategies for improvement that, that your data will tell you are really, really important. Um, and then and then you need to think of staff, I think, Jamie. You, you think about balancing the selection and you know retention of the grade three and six teachers, uh, you know, are there incentives for doing that for them? Um, you know, creating that idea that it's not just that teacher, although the teachers 
does feel that pressure. It's it's the division taking that responsibility. And and going back to what you said, that's where I think we've gotten better with EQAO. We've made it more of a full school, whole school responsibility rather than it just landing at the doorstep of the grade three or six teacher. No, no, no. Well said. And I, I, I think it's. I look at now, Jack, kind of the attitude of staff involved, and I think it's a real fine line between is is being assigned grade three or six, uh, say for next year, as a teacher, but I look at that as an honor or a burden. And it, it is a feather in your cap, there's no doubt about it. Everyone in the school, and you're right, we've looked at them through a much more divisional lens over the last 10, 15 years than, it, than we did in its early stages, where it was really kind of grade three and six island, so to speak. But it's still, grade three and grade six are still the, the, the major foci, no doubt about it. And in terms of whether or not someone wants to do it, and we try to, as you say, incentivize as much as we can, is it a permanent placement? We know we have an outstanding teacher, and as a principal, are we envisioning he or she teaching grade three or six as long as I'm principal in the school? And then, like, is that fair? Is that, is that what the staff member wants? And you really have to have those open discussions. And I also think as principals, we have to have like succession planning in mind for all grades, obviously. Staffing is fluid, but I think particularly for those, um, you know, three and six years. And then also in terms of the attitude staff kind of projects to kids, I learned something a few, uh, several years ago when I was principal of a school and I used to kind of, I'll never forget this, every year EQEO kind of make the rounds that first morning and kind of say to the classes, just as they were about to begin, well, you know, good luck everyone, uh, that type of thing. And this teacher afterwards, uh, we had a really good discussion and she said, well, you know, really luck has nothing to do with it. And I said, well, you're absolutely right. And of course, I was just kind of giving the standard kind of cliche, good luck. And she's, and so anyways, we talked about it with staff and in future years, our, our mantra for EQAO became, quote, show what you know. And every morning with the kids, that's what they were told before they, be, they began their work. And that was really great because I think that's exactly the mindset um, that everyone involved should have. Well, that's a great way to put it, Jamie. And I, I agree, luck is not the, the uh, piece that determines the good score against the poor score. Like it, you want to be able to empower the students and put that positive attitude in them. Because let's face it, they're going to look to the adult and the way, the direction they're given, um, you know, to, to either be inspired, intimidated by it, or indifferent, uh, and, and so on. So I, I think teachers are right there with them, and the administrator a little more distantly, but they're looking to those adults, as well as their own parents, and, and their approach towards the, the assessment as well. Um, that home influence is huge, but, I, but you know, so is, so is school as well. I mean, I, I, I think about the experience of EQAO when we were school leaders. It was, we'd agree that it was seen as a positive challenge, not a waste of time. And, and not this, you know, insurmountable obstacle or mountain that had to be climbed. It, well, you're right, but that's, that's what we were trying to make sure it wasn't seen as. That's right. And that I, was a challenge at times. Yeah, it, it's important, but it's not to be intimidating. And, and I, I go back to that phrase, show what you can know or that you can do it. Uh, instilling that in the kids is, is important for them. As well, I think it can be a life skill. Like they're going to face challenges that they have to do uh, and, and different forms and different 
pieces along the way. So this is this is a good uh, good experience for them. One other piece too that students always had that opportunity. We shouldn't forget to to fill out the student questionnaire that's included in that assessment, and it was always valuable to get that feedback in the data that came back with uh, with EQAO as well. Well, in terms of EQAO attitudes, certainly the the final stakeholder group are the parents. And as you mentioned, Jack, no question, no question. Uh, they play a huge role in a variety of ways. And I think first and foremost, does the parent see value or not in the EQAO process? And either that open-minded positivity or the kind of negative indifference you referred to, that, that just oozes out of a parent and a child will pick up on that. Because I know for some families, the minute they find out these um, results have absolutely no impact on report cards, some families kind of have the well, and quote, why are we doing this? So those kind of discussions, uh, I think are really an important role the principal can help in terms of clearing things up with parents. And way back in the 90s, uh, yes, I'm dating myself, but I remember being a, a vice principal in the 90s when EQAO first really got rolling. And there was numerous parents who were seeking student exemptions. They just didn't want their child involved uh, for various reasons. Um, but then of course, we quickly realized, but over time, uh, those exemptions, kind of the, the bar for those really, really changed over time and they just became kind of an automatic zero for the given student uh, who did not participate, which obviously can really uh, unfairly drag down a school's results. So I know as principal, there's, when I became principal, there's lots of discussions with parents and we, you know, we made sure we had all of our students participating. And that's where uh, an EQAO information night each year in about February, I found really helpful to answer a lot of questions and kind of get everyone into that uh, mindset. Now let's look, Jack, there's some real pros and cons. As we mentioned off the top, EQAO is certainly not perfect, but boy, it has certainly also raised the bar. And I think one of its biggest positives is the whole idea of reinforcing the importance of ensuring that the EQAO results each year align closely with report card marks. Uh, because it's way, way too easy, especially for a teacher who's been in a school for 10, 15 years, where uh, that's the only school, say, they've known, that you just naturally, I think, fall into a kind of a relative class ranking of students rather than an objective standard. So like, you know, the top 15 per 20 or 20% of your class, well, these are my A students type thing. But that's just relative. And so I think EQAO has really, really opened people's eyes to a standard from which kids are, are measured. And I think it's a much more accurate uh, assessment of in the broader scope of things where your child really is. And ensuring when EQAO results come out, is that similar to what the report cards say? And the other thing is that uh, it really, I found some really frank discussions at things like BCIs the last few years with among staff members where it's simply not fair for a staff member in, in say grade four or five to have very different results uh, on report cards in future years from what a child had say on grade three EQAO. Uh, that makes it really rough on the grade three teacher looking back on it because you know kind of this was the EQAO standard and we want to make sure it was consistent with how the grade three teacher saw the child that year, but it's also important that it's consistent with how we see the child in future years. And obviously we hope for growth, but we want kind of reasonable growth based on a standard. Right, Jamie, the, the, these are great points and I, I, I really 
I think we have to keep that in mind as a school leader uh, all the time. Those are the pieces that you've just uh, discussed because it really does help us as leaders and and teachers as well help us guide our plan for improvement. And when I hear you describing those pieces, I cannot help but think about the word accountability in in what we're doing. And and that was a hard idea to get your head around at the start because it begs the question, are teachers accountable or not? But it's one more form of assessment that helps in that whole big process of, of the year. Uh, I know we're gonna get to snapshot and not, it, it is that over that few days, but it's, it's really important. Now, along with that, there's multiple board supports that have directly and indirectly raised the bar for instruction and assessment across all grades. And I think those are aligned with the EQ, EQAO process as well. The way we've taught and delivered activities and so forth has evolved uh, to better align itself with this uh, across the board. And, you know, it's, it's really, I think we both agree, gradually led to this paradigm shift to a more divisional lens regarding student progress rather than seeing students in isolated grades. Like I, I, I think of my time as a school leader and you're very conscientious of the early years, the primary, the junior, and, and, and even intermediate being prepared now for the, the assessments uh, in high school. So I, I, this spring's assessment is really going to help highlight key learning gaps that have been widened by the pandemic. Oh, I think that'll be the most important legacy of this spring's assessment. Absolutely no question about it. All right, now let's look at some of the negatives of EKO, EQAO, excuse me. And a big, big negative uh, throughout his existence, in my mind, Jack, is what I would look at as a, frankly, a massive conflict of interest, where we have the designers of the assessment, the people who are actually writing and putting EQAO together each year, and then we have people who are in charge of marking or actually assessing the student work. Right, right. And yet they're all included kind of ultimately under the same umbrella. And I realize they traditionally bring in uh, teachers over the summer, et cetera, to do all the assess. I, I get all that. But ultimately the, 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 the body uh, ultimately accountable for both designing the test and assessing the test is really under the same umbrella. And I just find that a real frankly a massive conflict of interest because in any given year the designing arm so to speak can make the test more difficult or, or easier and or the assess assessment arm can mark it to like in a more uh, difficult or easier manner and any other combination so the results or whatever in my mind can be somewhat kind of determined to fit what they wish the results to be. Right, Jamie. It, it, you know what I'm saying, Jack? So that's, to be honest with you, that's always bothered me for the last 30 years. And I, I would just rather have it assessed by a completely distinct body uh, that has nothing to do with EQAO. And I realize that's not going to happen. But you just talked about accountability, and I'm not going to get on it for another you know, hour on different aspects of our society. But in different aspects, we have independent groups coming in who truly investigate something. Right. So I would right. like to see an independent body do the assessment. That's just, that's just me. It's it's such a great point, and uh, you know, I, I guess the one level of even a more difficult situations if a teacher in your school somehow got your school's assessments to do. I think they have ways of avoiding that. 
but but you're right the the, te the teaching profession marking that uh, marking the assessment does it, it, it does raise questions. well it, it's not that it's not even the teaching I, it's not even the teachers per se it's the stand of doing the marking it's the it's it's who's overseeing it who's setting the standards right because I know people who have marked and they say that it's it's laid out very clearly before they begin and it's it's monitored closely. I'm talking the next yeah. realm up. Like, who's yeah. overseeing all of this assessment? Yeah, understood. I th you know. Thanks for clarifying that for sure. Now, uh, one other piece, too, that I, I think about, and we, we started to touch on this before, is that the report card measures, uh, you know, it's a 10-month segment or a, a, a video shot of the year. EQAO is a, is a well, this year, a two-day snapshot in time uh, of, of performance. And... And to a degree, I, you understand why you can't have EQ, EQAO stretch out over a longer period of time. It has to be assessed, marked, and data given back to you. But, um, you know, I, I think that's something that we keep in mind where there might be a bit of a gap between what we see in a report card and, a, and, a, and what a student does in EQAO. Because, of course, if they have a bad week, if, uh, you know, things just don't go well, that that's that's understandable you know there's going to be a difference so we the other piece too is the whole bit around um, trailing data is something that's always been a bit of a challenge for me as a, as a leader and that we don't get the results released to us till four months after they're made public another month after that and then we get in that fall to building our plan for what was done six months ago. So it's always this motion, uh, I wanna pick the right word, but it's always this process where it's always a you're moving always playing catch up. Yeah, you're always playing catch up with what you've done. So uh, to me, the data, and I certainly think of this in new schools where you have your first group that writes EQAO. Until you get five years at a time, it's, it's really, uh, you know, and you, and you look at, change over time that becomes much more valuable than than the than the year to year well and certainly too in terms of change over time like as we well know i mean each cohort of students is fundamentally different right right exactly <laughs> like, like yeah and, and that's the joy of teaching like right. every, every class is different yeah. and uh we've both been administrators and taught at large schools and we've both been at smaller schools and it's also been a bee in my bonnet that in smaller schools the cohort sizes can be obviously small and you have uh, say 25 or 30 kids who write a given assessment well each child is then three or four percent of your results and that's that, like, they, they can make a huge difference uh, and so I think that, like the size of the cohort is also kind of a variable and I don't know the way around it it is what it is yeah. but to me it's also kind of in, in inherent negative that's right it's a challenge of using the percentage to show that because as you say a hundred percent success in an area can be eight out of eight students in a very small school getting it so it, it can mislead when you see that um, put up against uh, other places and other schools now one piece too james just a note about um, special needs students and, and in this area too we've all been in situations where we might have severe special needs students where it's just very very difficult for that student to complete the assessment or a part of the assessment, whether that be a, you know, a student on the spectrum or severe anxiety or uh, other pieces. And the assessment's gotten much better at helping students navigate it and remove some of those barriers. 
But let's face it, there are certain situations where that's a student might be exempt. And, you know, from the selfish score perspective of the school, that hurts your school. So I've always wondered too about what does that student get out of it? I mean, there's equity in writing it with everybody else, but, but it begs a lot of questions about how do we service special needs students through this process? You raise an excellent point, Jack, that certainly as all administrators, ultimately we have to always be aware of the fact, as you said very nicely, like, or very well, what is in the best interest of the given child? And ultimately that's why we're in education. And you said it so well. But there's also, as you say, if we're being honest from the 5,000 foot view for your given school, if you have a number of students in that situation who would derive no benefit from taking the assessment, there's no doubt about it in the cold, cruel world that does hurt your results. Now, as you're saying that, Jack, I'm thinking the flip side is, I got to admit, another thing that really irks me is when gifted schools, who in each area, at least in boards we worked in, you might have 10 or 12 schools in your area, and one of them has the gifted program. So here, we're, we're, it, just, it just drives me crazy, I confess, uh, that say the grade six assessment okay, so this one school has siphoned off all the high-end students from all the other 11 schools and made this quote-unquote all-star team, and now they're suddenly going to have their results compared to us? And then everyone's going to say, boy, that school had great results. Yeah, no kidding! Right. So that talk about an unlevel playing field. I think that really, really has to be addressed in some manner because that, that oh that that just drove that just drove me crazy and I like and talk about invalid results I mean come on another thing was Jack you and I have both really enjoyed our time in schools in some more economically challenged communities and I felt very badly there where our kids were through no fault of their own they suffered from an experiential bias where questions were often be involving something to do with a trip to the farm or a hiking or camping trip. Or some years they talk about if you went into Toronto and you would do X, Y, and Z. Well, our, our kids haven't experienced that. And then of course, I remember having a, uh, a, a chat at a conference a few years ago with one of the heads at EQAO at the time and, and he claimed, oh yes, but we, we understand that. But of course, we're trying to get our kids to infer and my, my point to him was, yes, but all of our inferences in life, including for the two of us, Jack, are based on our experiences. That's what we're basing our inferences on. Right. So if my experiential tank is empty, I cannot make a meaningful inference. Right. So, you bring up lived, like, honestly, lived experience is so you know, important. And then the other point, Jack, of course, and it's the age-old issue which has been around for all boards and all schools and so on, is this whole issue of are in fact we teaching to the test? And in terms of analyzing past tests or assessments and where the major focus areas are, et cetera, and developing our plans accordingly for the future years, yes, we're all, we all have been guilty of teaching to the test to a certain degree. There's, like, there's right. no doubt about it. I, I'm guilty, no doubt about it. Yeah, and I, and I think we've done more of that as EQAO has evolved, I and mean, I think we've been, uh, I want to say, directed to at times. And, and as we say, some of our day-to-day -day teaching is based on 
what we've gleaned out of EQAO. No question. For no sure. Question. So this moves us to the third section, Jane, the podcast, and, and, and that's talking about changes for this year with EQ, EQAO back on the horizon for us. And, and just, you know, quickly, some of the, the points in, um, in understanding the, the new assessment is that there's a bigger time window for schools to administer the assessment. Though the assessment itself is a little bit shorter, I believe it's two days uh, now instead of the, the three that students would, would write for. And the sessions themselves within each day are a little bit shorter uh, into 30 minute segments. So uh, that's interesting. Uh, it's a completely online or virtual format um, with new features such as a built-in calculator and an ability for students to make rough notes and it, some of these changes beg the question that will will this be the new format moving forward? Um, you know, all students will have access to text-to-speech reading, zoom in, zoom out format, a high contrast view, a line reader. So I'm ex excited to hear that because that's all about being equitable so that, that people are working from the same platform. Oh, no question. And those are big step forwards. And, and another... Uh real you know change I think Jack that's really going to be I think I think helpful and, and very warranted is since we have a much broader time window from basically early May to late June in your package will also be included a practice test and I think yeah. it's a great opportunity not so much for the content but to get everyone particularly our students really uh, familiarized with the virtual platforms that will be required for this assessment because I think Ultimately, when, when you're actually doing the assessment, we want our kids to focus on the material and not worry about kind of the, the background logistics and, you know, how, how, how to kind of, uh, you know, get their material kind of, uh, you know, inserted and, and so on. So anything to do with the technology, I think it's great, great that they have this practice test to get all those kinks out of the way. Right, Jamie. It's certainly needed. Uh, you know, for success to, to approach it successfully. So that's a great component. There's there's also a mental health and uh, anxiety considerations. Students have um, reminders or prompts um, online to, uh, during as part of the assessment, I understand, uh, to access virtual breathing exercises and test-taking strategy reminders. So uh, that's very, very helpful and I think adds to the equitable piece uh, and so on. And, and one little side note without getting into too much of the detail, um, in, in going over the new EQAO uh, pieces and strategies, there's a word about the math component and it, it's going to use a multi-stage um, adaptive testing model and, and really quickly uh, under, my understanding is there's a, a first series of questions that all of the students will do and out of the 11 or 12 questions if you score very well you'll uh, be given uh, a, a set of questions in the next format for that math that will be tailored from that middle up area and if you struggle you'll be given questions that are tailored from the middle downwards so that the whole idea is that you're we're not losing the engagement of our students because they can't do that question because you and I both know that our our biggest fear as teachers and as as administrators if we saw students the book was closed after five ten minutes um, and and the student had shut down so I think there's ways they're looking at trying to 
engage the student better? Well, boy, Jack, I'm telling you, this multi-stage adaptive uh, testing model you're referring to, that, that, that would be a, a future podcast all on its own. Because yes. I, I get the whole engagement piece, but boy, if earlier answers are going to trigger uh, subsequent questions in terms of their level of difficulty, uh, when it comes to assessing what all is said and done, boy, it sounds like apples and oranges to me. So that, that's really going to be interesting how that all kind of uh, you know pans out and it ultimately is assessed. Because as I say, it's, you know, it's, it's very difficult to get kind of a, a standardized assessment. We've talked a lot about throughout this podcast when we're not asking standardized questions. Bottom line is, as we've alluded to uh, throughout our chat this morning, it's important to always keep in mind that the real benefit of this year's EQAO assessment will be to highlight those academic areas that have really suffered and suffered the most uh, during the pandemic. And ultimately, it will then be up to uh, individual boards and schools to really decide where to spend the uh, required extra time, attention, and money moving forward. And I think, yes, it's at the board and school level, but also when there's, I'm sure there'll be some commonalities provincially that I think come the fall, the province is going to need to really kind of oversee too, uh, any kind of, as I say, kind of province-wide gaps. Yeah, absolutely, Jamie. It's, it's going to be very interesting to see what comes out of this assessment and what is gleaned and, and from that wider system level, you know, what resources will be used and time will be used to help close uh, some of the gaps that, that surely exist. In addition, it's really nice to see the changed format that we just talked about in the last section. And, and I'm really encouraged about that, the, the overall process, if some of these changes actually become new best practices for EQAO. And thanks as always for joining us today. And a reminder that if you have any questions or comments, please email us at affective with an A, affectiveleadership at gmail.com. And we encourage our listeners to share our podcast with other school leaders and a reminder to follow us on Spotify and Google Podcast. And we look forward to connecting with you again in two weeks on Matters of Principles.